Welcome to episode 86, Walking Closer Podcast. We're back after, uh, what, a week, two weeks, maybe? I can't remember how long it's been. Just a couple of weeks to uh, just hit reset and, um, yeah, get, get, uh, get my feet on things for a little while. So, took a little break and here we are, back, episode 86 title this one the solution and i do that because right now in america you practically cannot say anything without someone jumping down your throat it's funny because in a place where we have fought so hard and continue to fight to hold on to freedom of speech we forget to hold on to civility in a place where we value freedom of speech fewer seem to value listening so I have increasingly felt like I have had to watch what I say, even more so. Or I might be accused of something from one side or another. And that's a problem when you can no longer have a conversation opposing views of things um, without civility, without listening, without seeking to understand another perspective. And that's something I think we've lost. Uh, that's why... Debates are pointless for us now, and that's a problem. Now, some might tell me you shouldn't be so concerned about what others are going to think or how they're going to react to what you say, but as I see it, that's a part of the problem, and it's not always that easy, especially if you're someone who is trying to understand all sides. It's not necessarily the solution when you are trying to be a bridge builder, when you are trying to understand perspectives so that you can help others navigate these times. And sometimes I think a win might be when all sides are against you, right? Then you know you're hitting on something. And quite honestly, that's how I envision people responding to what I think is the solution to the problems we are currently facing with racial tension, the pandemic, and quite honestly, any other problem we have ever and will ever encounter. In fact, I think what I'm going to talk about today is the solution to everything. And unfortunately, I know there are lots of people who don't want to hear the answer, either because they have an incorrect definition to the solution, or maybe they just don't like the solution, or maybe some just have a hard time seeing how the solution is applied. And regardless, I think the solution is love. Yes, I think the solution is love. I think the solution has always been love. And while love may not have stopped a pandemic, I think love is the solution to helping us work through this pandemic and tensions and the tensions we feel as a result of what it has done to us. I also think love could have kept others from feeling like their lives don't matter to the majority. If we loved, if we truly loved, I think we would be in a different place than we are now. It's like a like a husband whose wife just left him and he is thinking back on what went wrong. Now, problem is always going to be a lack of love. And the solution is always going to be more love or love. But for some reason, we fight against that being the solution. We, we say things like, if I hear 
about love one more time, or there is more to it than just love. When we say uh, things like this, there is something about love that we either don't understand, haven't thought through, or disagree with. And I honestly think many people have a very limited understanding of what love actually is and what it looks like. And I think that that is really what's going on here, what the problem is. And as I see it, that's a big problem, right? Because love needs to be at the core of who we are as humans. Everything comes down to love. It either comes down to a lack of love or love that needs to be on display. When, when I try and think through problems and their causes, what could have prohibited them or the solutions to working through them, there's always a lack of love or love is the solution. Okay, Now, love is not something we can just talk about, although when we talk about things, Love plays a huge role. Love is something that can be seen, that can be shown and experienced. Paul speaks about the importance of love, and he says this. He, he says this. Now listen, check this out. What he's going to say, he is going to say to people who find their identities and their value in these set of things that Paul is going to talk about. Um, And he's going to say this to people who highly value this stuff. He's going to say this to people who, I mean, this is at the center of who they are. This is a group of people who consider themselves disciples. I mean, this is, they would be considered the gathered together, the church. And Paul says that love is greater than speaking in tongues and prophecy and knowledge and faith and giving and even dying for your cause. He says, love is greater than that. In other words, you could do all these things, or it can appear like you have these things, right? Yet without love, they are pointless. You get that? They are pointless. And I would argue that Paul is saying here that they are of little value. Without love, all of these things are of little value. Value All the things that you identify yourself with, all the things in which you find your value and your self-worth in, all those things are pointless. They have very little value, if any at all, without love. Okay, And then he bypasses the, the abstract or the theoretical, and he says, this is what love looks like when you see it. And then in just a few short phrases... He uses 15 different verbs to paint 15 different portraits of love. Now, I want to run through them with you, okay? But before I do, let me just prepare you for what we are going to do together. What I am going to present to you is, quote-unquote, the gospel. Which, by the way, was just a Greek or a Roman way of declaring good news. In fact, it was a word that was connected to the delivering of another Roman victory, if you will, over some people or territory. It was good news because Rome won. Rome was expanding. Rome was acquiring more land, more people, more wealth. Now, I call what I'm about to tell you 
the gospel because it is good news. It is good news because it is the solution we are shown through Jesus. It is a solution that Paul is going to outline for us, and it is a solution to how to navigate not only our current climate, but it is a solution to life. Okay, it's the solution. And, and listen, listen, it is practical. Okay, it's not theoretical. It can come out of the clouds. It's not just abstract and thinking. Okay, this is something that can go beyond just talking. It can be done. You can become it and it can be second nature to you. It is the solution to a happy, and satisfying and fulfilling life. Okay, so if you're still with me, this is what we're about here. So as we go through the picture Paul paints of love, we need to do so with some personal awareness of how this applies to us. Okay, so, so, so as I go through this picture, you need to go through this with some personal awareness of how this applies to you, how you could do better. What this might look like for you in the situations you find yourself. Not anyone else, but you. It's about becoming more and more aware of where you are and what you need to do. Or in other words, how things apply to you. Did you see? It's when you see how things apply to you that you will truly be able to exercise your own wills. Okay? Like <laughs> the one true and only true freedom that you have. The power to choose. You're able to exercise your wills for change, for transformation. And this, this, this is where this is where the impact of the gospel is felt on our minds and our hearts and can be seen. Okay? So let's see what this picture of love looks like. So Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, he says that love is patient. There are some Greek words for patience that deal with a couple of different things. There's a Greek word for patience that deals with just generally circumstances, okay? But then there's another Greek word that is only used in reference to patience with people. And that's the word that is used here, which is why sometimes it's translated love is long-suffering. In other words... Love doesn't have a short fuse. It doesn't lose its temper easily. Love doesn't say, I'll only give you one more chance. Because love is patient, right? Love says, listen, we don't understand one another very well right now. Therefore, I will be patient with you so I can better understand you. See what love did? Love said, love didn't say, we don't understand one another very well right now. Therefore, uh, I will be patient with you so we can better understand one another. Or I will be patient with you so you can better understand me. No, 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 no. I will be patient with you so I can better understand you. Okay? It applies to me. Not the other person. To me. Okay? You can't apply anything to anyone else. Only you have the power to apply something to yourself. Okay? Love, he says, is patient. Then he says... It's kind. Now, in other words, love is patient and it is accompanied by, shall we say, a positive action or reaction. Love is patient 
and kind. You might say love is patient and demonstrates that patience through kindness, or kindness accompanies patience. Patience, right? In many ways, uh, various acts of kindness during tense times may be what helps others see your patience. Now, regardless how you see this, kindness and patience go together. And it would be a hard thing to prove patience without kindness. Paul says, this is what love looks like. Okay? And then, then, so, so he says love is patient and love is kind. And then Paul follows these two expressions of love with eight verbs that indicate how love does not behave which is oftentimes the way that we have to see things uh, or look at things in order to see what we should do, right? What the positive action should be. So Paul says, love is not jealous. So he says, love is patient and kind, not jealous. Um, When someone is jealous, right, it implies being displeased with someone with maybe the success of someone else, what they have, what they've acquired, what they've accomplished, who they are, um, etc. So being jealous implies you're displeased with the success of others, should we say, right? Uh, but he says love is, is not jealous because love actually desires the success of others, right? Then Paul says love is not jealous and it does not brag. Um, this word brag, is, is, this Greek word, is the closest to our English word for a quote-unquote windbag, right? We, it's, not, it's not a word. <laughs> that's, not, that's not something we say very often. You don't hear that unless you watch some of these old old English movies or um, you know, old uh, black and white films. But love it does not brag, right? It's not a windbag. What's a windbag? We don't use that term. Well, windbag referenced a person who basically talks a lot and says little of value, okay? So it's a person who has a lot to say, but they're not saying anything, right? It's of little value, okay? So he says, listen, love does not brag. It's not egotistical. And, and, and the reality is, the more loving you become, the less boasting you will need to do. Okay, and that's really caught up in this, caught up in the bag, okay, of, of a brag, all right? Uh, love does, is not jealous. It does not brag. Um, love is not arrogant. It's just a term that has to do with uh, grasping of power, Okay. And uh, it's stronger than the word bragging, and so there's there's kind of like a like a building up here. It has to do with using people as stepping stones, and, or you know, pushing yourselves to be in control, disrespecting others, and, and it it carries a sense of should we say disdain for other people? Okay, when you're arrogant. You've seen people like maybe you have been arrogant. Uh, we have a it, when you even think of the word, or if you think of a movie character, or if you're reading a book, and the person is described by being as being arrogant, you immediately have a picture probably that it's painted in your mind of you know the persona of that person. We know what this means. We know what this means. Okay, but it has to do with 
you know, you're fighting for power, you're struggling for control, right? Um, and you want to have control over others. You're using other people as stepping stones to push yourself to be in control. And he says, listen, that's not what love does. Love's not arrogant. And then he goes on to say that love is not rude. Okay? Love is not rude. Um, think about it this way. We sometimes take delight in being blunt, right? Justifying it on the grounds of honesty. We say things like, well, I'm just telling it like it is. We take pride even in that, okay? Um, it's it's in some circles it's uh it's a skill or it's it's, it's an action that is uh, highly valued, one's ability, right, to be able to do that. Well, I would suggest nowadays it doesn't take a whole lot to do that, right? All it takes is a screen and something to hide behind, and you can just tell it like it is. That's that's the culture in which we live nowadays. Paul says love doesn't do this. Um, love doesn't always speak in this way. It doesn't verbalize all of its thoughts, especially if those thoughts don't build others up, okay? Um, and so it implies that there should be a graciousness in love, graciousness in speech, where there's courtesy and tact and politeness are being used. But, man, you know, just as I do, in tense moments, the goal here is not to be polite. The goal here is to win. The goal here is to try and, you might even say, be heard. Unfortunately, the way we do things, no one wins, and no one is heard, okay? But with love, those things can be reversed. There should be a graciousness when it comes to loving other people in speech, okay? Well, it's courtesy and tact and, and politeness are being used because you have a desire not to just speak but to be heard and to also listen. Okay, I would add that. So, love does, he says, does not is not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not seek its own. It's uh, not self-seeking. It's not always insisting upon one's own personal rights. Um, boy, and I say that, and you could take that a lot of different ways. Right, you could understand that. Uh, some people can say, "See, you're supporting what I say," and so you can agree with me. And other people will take that as a slap in the face and say, "Oh no, 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 no! Personal rights. Now you're touching on a nerve here." You know, um, yeah, I'm not taking either side. Love does not seek its own. It's not self-seeking. It's not always insisting upon its own personal rights. Understand how this word is being used. Understand how I'm saying this. I'm not talking about civil rights. I'm not talking about people being abused. I'm not talking about uh, uh, prejudice, racial uh, bias. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about in the heat of the moment. Love does not seek its own. Um... It's not self-seeking. It's not always insisting upon its own, what it feels like it's its own personal rights, right? In that moment, it doesn't always feel violated for every little bitty thing. And this is why a self-absorbed narcissistic person cannot act in love, okay? Because they're all just simply about themselves. So in other words, love is not possessive. It's not demanding. It's not stubborn. It's not dominating. 
Uh, it does not always insist on its own way. Okay? So there was like a little bitty test for you in your listening. Love does not seek its own. Sometimes there's these words and there's these trigger words. And we have to be careful on how we react to these trigger wor- words. Right now, rights is, I think, one can be potentially one of those words. But all Paul's saying here is love does not always insist on its own way. Okay? That's all he's saying here. That's all he's saying. Love is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, is not rude, does not seek its own. It's not easily provoked. Ah. Hmm. In other words, it doesn't give into emotional outbursts, petty annoyances, doesn't let someone get under their skin. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one's not easy. Right, how difficult is that? Not letting someone get under their skin, right? Love says, so in other words, we don't have to get irritated. We don't have to be touchy or quick to take offense, right? Like We don't have to be on edge all the time. It's not easily provoked. Hmm. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Man, it just gets better and better here, right? <laughs> Love, love is not jealous, it's not, it's not brag, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it doesn't seek its own, it's not easily provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, the Greek word here is, um, has to do with bookkeeping. Okay, It doesn't take into account. It, so it's, it's a booking, book or accounting term and has to do with bookkeeping. In other words, it doesn't write down each wrong done, each wrong that's experienced, waiting for the debt to be settled. That's not what love does. It doesn't hang on to reminders of all the wrong things that have happened. It doesn't mean that it, it doesn't mean that it's not reminded of things, but it does have to do with what it does with those things when it's reminded. Okay, it doesn't hold on to them. It doesn't hang on to reminders being wronged or what it suffered at the, the hands of people does not take into account a wrong suffered. Then he says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Ah, I see. I can feel some tension now. There's some tension there. I can, I can, I can see where there might be tension. So let's back up. He says, love is not jealous does not brag, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it does not seek its own, it's not easily provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, yet it does not rejoice in unrighteousness. <laughs> Paul, clearly in this situation, okay, obviously this text is being taken out of a larger text, okay, so it's a chapter and a letter that we have, you know, well, it's a portion of a letter that we have applied chapters and you know, numbers to verses or sections so that we can easily navigate, maneuver ourselves through the letter. Helpful, but it also you know has its drawbacks here. Uh, but this is a part of a larger context, and Paul clearly has his feet on both sides, okay? Firmly planted. He understands what's going on here. And what's happening here, which is how he is able to help them navigate through this. So Paul says, 
does not rejoice in unrighteousness. In other words, love doesn't take joy in any evil of any kind. Okay, It takes no pleasure in hearing about the inadequacies, the mistakes, and the sins of other people. Okay, And instead, and that's where these next words have to be taken into account. Now, before I go on, I have to say this. Remember, Paul is talking about a specific situation, okay? Specific circumstances, things that are happening. Uh, very quickly, I'll tell you that part of their there's lots of divisions there, and part of their divisions has to do with just how they see one another. It's uh, we might even say it's kind of like class warf- warfare. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but it might actually fit that very well. Uh, you have a bunch of people who are coming together, and you know having to function together that may never have done that before, okay? Um, they, in, they they don't know what that looks like, and, you know, you have rich and poor, different classes, different, um, different ethnicities, uh, all coming together, and they have to learn how to function within that, men and women. And so what does that look like? Well, they don't know. And some of this probably, some of this stuff would have, possibly seem to have just been in total, you know, fly in the face of what they were accustomed to. Um, And so some of the things, you know, that they would have experienced coming together, how do you function now um, when the rules, some of these normal social norms, normal social norms, (laughs) how do you, how do you, yeah, Um, so you know, how do you function now when there's some so, so social norms that are being challenged and um, you find new places to find value and worth? And one of those one of those ways that did this was within, quote-unquote, spiritual gifts, right? The ability to do all these things, which is some of the stuff that Paul mentions in the beginning of this, where he says, listen, you can do all these things, have all these things, yet without love, they have no value. Okay, and that was part of the problem. They were rating one another's value, one another's worth, based on what gift you had. And obviously, when you look at the text, it makes it, it's, it's really obvious that they highly valued speaking in tongues. And so if you had the ability to speak in tongues, whew, that sets you up on a completely different level than anyone else, okay? And so you can see how that would cause problems within that context. Now, when Paul says these things, talking about love, okay, he's applying them specifically to that that particular situation, and you can look at a larger text and see how these things would have have applied, okay, and you have to be careful when you take these things and you try to apply them to current situations, because as as the the little demonstration we had previously, uh, when, you know, love does not seek its own, man, you could take these things you know, both ways. You can take these things lots of different ways, and you can have two sides of an argument, and both sides say, see, it says this. See, it says this. You have to apply this to yourself. What does this look like for you? Okay? Where, what are those times where you can take these things where Paul says love is not, and that actually describes you? Okay, what does this look like for you? That's the question. The question is, how does this apply to you? Okay, because the goal is for you to become love. You pursue after love. Okay, that's the goal. There's the point is it's pointless to try to sit here and apply all this stuff to someone else. Okay, and when you don't have the right to do that, uh, you, <laughs> you, when you yourself don't do it, you don't have it. Okay, um, 
you know, at that, that point, we're trying to sell something we don't have. We're trying to hold someone else to a standard we don't even hold ourselves to. We can't do that. That's, that's, that, and that's a part of the problem, okay? We don't see ourselves as part of the problem. And so first, see yourself as, okay, how does this apply to me? Okay, love does not, he says, listen, let's go back. Love is not jealous, it's not brag, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it does not seek its own, it's not easily provoked, it does not take into account of wrong, suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness. How does that apply to me? And don't try and apply that to someone else. Okay, that doesn't work. How does it apply to you? Okay, and then instead he goes on to say that it rejoices, it rejoices with the truth. It, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with truth. It bears, in light of that, okay, in light of that, check it out. It bears all, man, love is hard. It bears all things. And it's a picture of it, of it protecting other people. It doesn't broadcast their, their inadequacies and their mistakes and the, the sins of other people. Okay, It bears all things. And it believes all things. It gives people the benefit of the doubt. Okay, It hopes all things. In other words, there's trust and then there's their expectation in things. And uh, it endures all things. Uh, this is an interesting word. It's a military term that has to do with holding a position at all costs, okay? It endures all things. In other words, love won't stop loving, even in the face of rejection, right? Love won't stop loving, even in the face of rejection. See, <laughs> it endures all things, which basically, right, basically... It's the blanket over any, any argument that you might want to make and how you want to use any of the previous, thing, previous things that are mentioned about what love does and what love does not do. It endures all things. <laughs> There's a grand picture of love painted for us by Paul, a disciple of Jesus. And of course, there are other pictures of love that are painted for us, other pictures we can analyze and consider and apply to our current situation. Um, I'm not saying this is even necessarily a complete picture, although an argument can, could be made both ways. The question here is, though, with this example, what does this all mean to you? Okay, so think about uh, other situations in the past where you wish you would have reacted differently. With these things in mind that Paul says, what would you have done differently? How might things have turned out differently for you? How might pursuing these things change the way you react now, in these current times? Right? How, how might the way that you navigate through our current situation regardless of what it is that you're facing, how might that look differently if you pursued after these things? You know, these things that Paul says here, being patient and kind and not being jealous or boastful or bragging or arrogant or rude and seeking your own way and being easily provoked and, you know, keeping an account of wrongdoings and rejoicing in unrighteousness. 
right? And then rejoicing with truth and bearing all things, believing and hoping and enduring all things. How might pursuing those things change the way you react now in these current times? Good news is things can change. They can get better. And these changes can become, should we say, second nature to us. See, that, that, that's the power of the gospel. It's transformative. It, it interacts with our thoughts and feelings, and it, it challenges our ideas and our perspectives. And, and, and my challenge to you is to pursue after these things, to pursue after love, to focus your thoughts on what love looks like, what love does, and try and keep your mind focused on these things, situations where you see these things happening. Focus on these things as you work through situations in your mind. And this helps. This helps to change what's in the mind. When, when we do this, we change the thoughts and the feelings our hearts feed off of. And as the heart increasingly feeds off of these things, it will increasingly change the direction it gives to the mind. And we will increasingly make choices that are more loving. Choices that over time become a natural part of who we are. And we too can become, well the solution love because that's the solution race and peace and I'll talk to you soon